0: Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit Utopia, our podcast. It is formally known as Nonprofit You. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. And you can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often using the hashtags NonprofitUtopia, PivotGround, and ThrivingNonprofits. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofitutopia. The chat room is open. And you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. Not to worry, all you got to do is press a single button. You don't have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. And you'll find a link to open the account on the page for this episode right underneath the chat box. You can also email me questions at wfleonard at nonprofitutopia.com but I will say that I probably won't be able to answer your questions while we're talking on the podcast for obvious reasons, but I promise you if you email me with questions, I will return the email as soon as I can. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community, and we've included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. So your human service nonprofit exists to make a positive impact to the lives of the people you serve, but how do you get there, especially in this environment? Today's topic is Building Thriving Nonprofits in the Digital Age. We'll talk about how to break down organizational silos and using mission-based goals to position organizations for success. We'll also talk about breaking the traditional strategic planning processes, how to accomplish more without expending more money, and how to get ahead of the fundraising curve using digital strategies. Today's guest is Sarah Olivieri, and I'm sorry, Sarah, for that. She's the founder of Ground. A full service firm that helps nonprofits thrive in the digital age. Sarah is a nonprofit strategist with the passion for helping organizations thrive. Sarah helps human service nonprofits increase their capacity, deliver better programming, attract more funding, and make the world a better place. She's the creator of the impact method, and that is proprietary, that is a trademark method for her company. And this is a business framework for nonprofits designed to help nonprofits thrive. She has over 15 years of nonprofit leadership experience, and Sarah co-founded the Open Center for Autism, and was the executive director of the Helping Children of War Foundation. She's also a published author who co-wrote Lessons, Lesson Planning a la carte, integrated planning for students with special needs so thank you so much sarah for being with us today and before we get started can you tell us a little bit about pivot ground and how you came to start the organization
1: sure well thanks for having me valerie it's a pleasure to be here Um, Pivot Ground is a consulting agency that helps nonprofits get their capacity optimized and their strategies organized, and then we help with all kinds of digital marketing aspects um, with a pretty uh, large team of digital marketing experts. I got started actually as an executive director myself, um, working in nonprofits, first in the autism field. And um, one of the many skills I learned along the way was building websites, which end marketing. And during the economic Mm -hmm. downturn, I leaned on that. And so I started a marketing and website business. And as I grew, I focused what I was working on, and that was nonprofits, because that's where I loved doing the work and where I could be the most helpful. And that eventually led me right back into doing um, basically business work, With nonprofits um, because there was so much help that my clients needed before they could really take advantage of the kinds of digital strategy and digital marketing work for both (laughs) fundraising and delivering their programs. Um, That's Mm -hmm. where I fell in love, that's what energizes me. Um, I created the impact method as a means of not just being a consultant who could share good ideas. or facilitate a process, but really give my clients something that they could take with them that made our nonprofits better. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's where the impact
0: method came from. So that's interesting. As you talk about that, I'm just wondering what the thinking was when you started your company. Um, I mean, if you're anything like me, you know, I, I worked as an executive director. There were just four of us trying to save the world, right? So when I started my Mm -hmm. company, I started thinking about all the things I wished I had when when I started, and and then those are the things that I do. And it sounds to me like that's somewhat your thinking, too. You know, if you had to do this all over again, what are the kinds of supports that, you know, you would want?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think for me, maybe I'm lucky that I love thinking about the systems and processes involved with running an Mm -hmm. organization, But for most executive directors, they're driven by the specific area that um, that their mission is about. They want to fulfill that mission. And so where I feel like I can really make my biggest impact in the world is um, thinking about this topic that isn't maybe the most popular but is the most, it's, it's strongly needed. It impacts everybody's ability to do those things that they love to do at their nonprofit. And so um, that's, where, that's where I've chosen to make my impact. But um, it's <laughs> something that every nonprofit needs. Um, And it's not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be frustrating. It doesn't have to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Nonprofits, I believe, can run very well, um, and they don't have to be always um, kind of like behind the eight ball, like stressing and and turning their Mm -hmm. wheels. They can have a fantastic experience doing
0: this. Awesome. And you know what, that's a great segue to the next question you know, I, I think we've all at one point or another in our careers have worked with large organizations, you know, in which departments work within their little fiefdoms and the left hand doesn't really know what the right hand is doing. And in fact, I'm finding that that is the case with a number of small organizations as well. Sometimes people are so busy working that they don't necessarily communicate as well as they should, you know, across the discipline. So what are some of the strategies that organizations can use to stay true to their missions while breaking down these silos and getting the work done, obviously?
1: Yeah. So I kind of have one solution um, that kind of ticks off many issues that nonprofits Mm struggle with. And Mm -hmm. silos is a big one. Um, And one of the problems is the way we've traditionally organized our nonprofits and and many for-profit companies as well is a concept really around managing people. And so when you manage people, you have things like job titles, somebody's job that that as a person, that is their job, and then you create departments organized around those people. And so naturally, the people become siloed because you don't have people kind of working across departments. And I think that is the root of why silos happen. And what I Mm -hmm. want nonprofits to do is think about organizing themselves around the functions that need to get done in order for their nonprofit to run efficiently and effectively and let the people be accountable for certain functions, but otherwise self-organize their human network. Um, And when that Mm -hmm. happens, then you start – you don't have – that are defined around specific people. You might have people who are accountable for making certain functions run, but those people might also be supporting or also accountable for functions that interact with other groups of people, and you create a lot of space for people to um, not be siloed because the truth is the different functions of your organization are highly dependent on each other and also come into conflict Mm -hmm. with each other naturally. Um, So for example, um, your fundraising department Um, probably has a marketing function, and your um, department that has to deal with your programming probably also has a marketing function where it gets people into your program. And so those Mm -hmm. two kind of marketing functions may come into conflict with each other. They might fight over real estate on the Internet. Who's going to be on the homepage of the website, Um, for example? And so we need to be thinking about those functions, and planning for those naturally occurring times when people are going to naturally collaborate and times when people are going to naturally um, come to odds um, because of the functions they're in charge of.
0: Yeah, that's that's very interesting. As I listen to you speak, does the traditional org chart change, you know, because, you know, when I came out of B school, it was in the 80s, -hmm. right, and everything was very structured and rigid, what you – our describing sounds more like a matrix as opposed to something that's um, more of a pyramid for, for lack of a better description. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to understand. Yeah.
1: That is will. a perfect shape description. Um, and so what I encourage people to do is to eliminate, remove the org chart completely, um, eventually. Mm-hmm. Now, don't just throw it out. You'll terrify people. Right. <laughs> but we use <laughs> a tool called the Nonprofit Blueprint. You can download. I wrote an article about it on our blog at totheground.com okay. if you click on the blog. Um, and there's okay. a, a link to a template for it. And it actually does kind of look like a pyramid, um, but instead of being – a chart that is who's in charge of who. It's what are the functions that are going to make this organization run. And there are a few functions. There's a key function that we call the integration function, which is specifically mm-hmm. the function of keeping other functions like fundraising and programming and financial management all kind of coordinated when they need to be coordinating mm-hmm. and uh, kind of resolving the natural conflicts that arise. Um, And so this gives you a structural method of dealing with silos. And I think that also helps people move forward more quickly because it's not about, you know, it's not personal when you take it to that level. It's not because so-and-so doesn't communicate or or, that that emotional piece. Because the truth is all kind of like personal disputes aside um, or differences in the way we work Every bit the nonprofit really is there to help achieve the mission at the end of the day.
0: Mhm. Great. I am definitely, with your permission, um, I would like to share that article and and resource and yeah. my little community. You know, I, I think this Please is do. definitely cutting <laughs> oh, <laughs> this cutting edge thinking, and and I really appreciate it. Okay.
1: Thank
0: you. Thank and, you. Okay, was there anything else you want to share on that topic before we moved on?
1: Oh, it's a huge topic, but I think we'll, um, I'll just share that, you know, it is is newer thinking. It's thinking that the corporate Mm -hmm. world has been working on for a little bit, maybe like, you know, 10 years or so, Um, Mm -hmm. but it actually comes from a shift in our understanding of science from more kind of traditional um, Newtonian science to thinking about um, what we've learned from quantum physics. So there's a huge topic. There's a lot that's been done in the for-profit world about how we can Mm -hmm. deal essentially with complex systems um, and how complex systems will self-organize. And there is no system that we, you know, the the complex system that we touch every day is the system of human Mm -hmm. interaction.
0: Oh, I love it. I am I'm, I'm fascinated. You you have given me homework. I'm going to start researching. This is really interesting. So I can re- remember when I was in business school and I started my career in banking. You know, this was back in the 80s. You know, the common approach to business planning as well as strategic planning was to spend anywhere from three months to a year analyzing the organization's capabilities within the context of their competitive environment. So I mean it. It's conceivable that you could really have analysis paralysis, and a typical document was about 15 pages, maybe 30, and that's just the narrative. And then you had about 50, even 100 pages for the appendix, you know, to supplement the main narrative. And you know, from reading, you know, what you've written, you know, that we. There's got to be another way, right? We need to streamline all of that. So what do you recommend now in our current environment, which is more fluid and agile?
1: Sure. Well, the context of our current environment that is different from that old way of planning is that, one, gathering data is very easy now. In fact, we can easily get data overwhelmed. Um, It can take Mm -hmm. seconds, minutes, you know, (laughs) <laughs> pay a professional and give them a couple days and they will give you insane amounts of data. Um, on what's going on That's true. And and the other reality is that because of the internet, which has sped up our ability to communicate, and to communicate with more people, um, the world just changes more rapidly. So, um, that a lot of my thinking around strategies comes from the way the engineers of the Internet figured out how to work. And that was that instead of planning a large project, building the project, and then launching the project, what they learned was you need to plan out what they called the MVP, the minimum viable product mm-hmm. or project. You need to launch it and then learn what is working and what is not and then continue to build it, essentially, as people use it and you learn from it. And the the most relevant data becomes the data that you produce yourself around your own successes and failures. So this is totally the kind of method that I think nonprofits and all businesses really need to be taking today. They Mm -hmm. need to be able to plan and experiment and try things very quickly Um, so you know anywhere from taking a day up to a six-week period if this is your first time kind of um planning, I said six weeks, it could go to eight weeks. It really just depends how big your organization is and how people re- how ready people are to embrace some change the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get used to this new way of planning, really one day, maybe two days if you're if you're big to create kind of your um, really look at maybe a year's worth of strategy. The other thing I want people mm-hmm. to stop doing is really thinking about like I'm making a one year plan or a three year plan or a five year plan. The reality is more of, what do I need to do first? What do I need to do next? And what do I need to go capacity in order to do? And how long mm-hmm. that timeline is is really a matter of how much you know right now, how many variables there are, how quickly your, the context and circumstances for your nonprofit are changing. So your plan, you might have details and goals that you're sure you're going to do out to three months, or you could write your plan mm-hmm. and realize we know what the next two years looks like, but that's not going to be the same for any one nonprofit. And it, it doesn't help you to say, I need to build a two-year plan. It helps you to build a plan that that you can see um, from today and, and to the few things that you know are probably going to happen but are still a little too fuzzy to plan around. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really key in um, – Getting into a a much faster rhythm of of building strategy, and I would even like to say strategic planning, because I think that sets people into this mindset of a long term plan that you're going to finish and Mm -hmm. then start a new plan, and that the board is going to be accountable for this. In this new kind of version you really need your executive director and administrative team doing most of the strategy management and it should be cyclical. You Mm -hmm. update it every quarter or at pivot round, we actually update Mm -hmm. our plans every 60 days
0: and we're just like
1: moving Mm -hmm. down a track. The farther, you know, you get down the track, but you can see just a little farther into the future. And so you're ready Mm -hmm. to update your plan.
0: Okay. Awesome. So, Basically, what I'm hearing from you, this is not really strategic planning in the traditional sense, even though I guess in today's environment it would be considered planning, but it's really more strategic management. I think that's what I'm hearing you say, strategic management versus planning and not necessarily responding as quickly.
1: I mean, it's definitely strategic planning in that you're going to think you're going to look at data, you're going to think about what's mm-hmm. working and what doesn't, you're going to think about what your mm-hmm. existing capacity is to, to how quickly okay. you can move to what you can do now, and it's going to be written down, and it's going to have high-level goals and specific actions that you're going to take. So in that case, it's strategic management in the form of having a written, um, well-thought-out strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I think you can't act strategically if you're not following a strategy in my mind, <laughs> because mm-hmm. <it> strategically <laughs> means you have a strategy, it means you have goals and you have okay. a plan for achieving those goals. That's what a strategy okay. is. Okay. Um, okay. but it's not, a pr- it's going to be a process that once you get going, it's just going to keep going with you. Um, and you're going to mm-hmm. have to get used to moving a lot faster. And that comes with some, some benefits and some challenges.
0: mm mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome, awesome. I, I just happen to be teaching a new ventures class, and this is so similar to what we're doing, you know, for for profits. And, you know, do you also mm-hmm. use the Lean Canvas once you once you go through this process. Yeah,
1: so I've used a version of the Lean Canvas. I find for most nonprofits, the Lean Canvas is especially helpful um, for starting a new program. Um, and, mm-hmm. But it starts to fall apart um, when, like, structurally an organization is a little more complicated. It doesn't help you deal with those challenges. And for nonprofits, mm-hmm. even the smallest startup nonprofit is dealing with probably clients of some sort donors, which is like another type of client, (laughs) as a sense of two Mm -hmm, very distinct and customer faces in kind of for-profit language, plus they're dealing with a board of directors, which no small startup for-profit has. Only like, you know, large companies and public companies have boards of directors. So you're talking about a pretty complex network of human beings for even the smallest nonprofit.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So in that sense, you know, the Lean Canvas is great for programs, but mm-hmm. nonprofits kind of need, even the very small ones, they need some structure that in the for-profit world only larger businesses would have.
0: Okay. Got it. Thank you so much. That That's very interesting. Okay. So I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast And we're speaking with Sarah Olivieri, she's the founder of Pivot Ground. We'll be taking questions from our listening audience and the chat room at about the 30 minute mark. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. We would love to have you join our conversation. And we also have noticed that our international audience is growing and we would like our podcast guests to reflect views from around the world. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia dot com. So Sarah, in spite of the fact that we're in the digital age and we have access to technology, At every turn, in order to save time and money and run our organizations more efficiently, we still struggle, at least I still struggle. It doesn't sound like you struggle, which is wonderful. With time management and productivity, what are some of the strategies that you would recommend to get more done at a nonprofit without spending more money? Uh,
1: sure. I love this question. Um, you know, in some ways I'm great at productivity and prioritization, but it's a constant, um, I return to it again and again. Um, we all go, mm-hmm. go off track. Um, it's not something, it's not like you can fix it once and then you are productive. It's something that needs constant attention. Um, and mm-hmm. so some of the strategies that um, that are going to help you get more done is, is one, like what I talked about earlier, you know, one solution for many things. So this concept of the nonprofit blueprint and how you're going to structure your structuring your nonprofit around the functions that need to be done um, will help you end up prioritizing better. I mean, the easy answer, of course, mm-hmm. is how do you get more time back in your day? You're pre- you prioritize. And why does prioritize work? prioritizing work it works because when we prioritize we two things happen one is those most important things if we do them first often some of the times those less important things were actually symptoms of that important thing and so if you do the important things first the other things at the bottom of your list end up falling off completely because they become just not issues not things you have to do they get solved like at a a core level um, so that's one reason why prioritizing works.
0: Another reason
1: why prioritizing works to get more time back in your day is you end up, usually when you prioritize, blocking your time. You can artificially block your time too, saying I'm going to do, you know, one task until it's complete, and then I'm going to move on to the next task. And when we do that, we we do less context switching. So context switching is when you move from one type of task to another, our brain takes a moment to adjust to the new task. And so the more times we context switch in a day, we actually lose an exponential amount of time. There's some. I highly recommend people just Google context switching. There's some great visuals that show you how much time you actually lose if you're switching, say, between five tasks in one day, you're losing a pretty big chunk of time. So that's another way we get time back in our day. So how does this link back Mm -hmm. to the way we think about the structure of our organizations is when we think about the structure of the organization as what are the functions that make this nonprofit work instead of who's in charge of who? um, Mm -hmm. Is we can then basically wear two hats. There's the hat I wear when I am accountable for a core function of the nonprofit. Then there's another hat I wear where I'm helping another core function be done, but I'm not accountable for it. So when I need to prioritize, I know the things that I am accountable for are my top priority, and the things that I'm just helping with are not my top priority. And if I do not have time or capacity to do those things, then I simply hand them back to the person who is accountable, who will be the most efficient person to decide who will do that function instead or that particular task. Mm-hmm. So that gives us kind of an ingrained ability to prioritize as individual human beings in a way that mm-hmm. keeps the best interests and moves the nonprofit forward um, towards achieving its mission and doing all the things it needs to do. Um, in kind of a very efficient way. So it gives me as a human being the structure of functions to kind of self-organize my human behavior around.
0: Okay, awesome. So what do you say to people who say, oh, you should multitask?
1: One is there's no actual thing as multitasking. You can't actually do two things at once. You're just switching back and forth very quickly. And when you do that, you are losing so much time. Google context switching, and when you see it visually, you will be like, oh, my God. Wow, I'm just wasting half my day <laughs> switching back and forth. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love what I am But I to say to multitasking. So <laughs> yeah, you can do multiple tasks, but not all at once, like they would have us believe. <laughs> that's right. That's sometimes right. I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like a hamster sometimes. Uh, you, you make me feel exactly so much right. better. that's You feel like
1: a hamster. <laughs> that's right. And you'll feel so much better when you stop um, multitasking. I, I have been quoted saying, You have to be brutal in the way you prioritize because sometimes it feels initially like it's going to be awful to prioritize and then just work through one thing at a time. And I don't know why we're set up to, like, think that way psychologically, but once you do it, you will feel so much better. And you will have more time. I promise you will have more time.
0: Okay. I I will share the result with you. This, This is awesome. Thank you. So you're welcome. (laughs) This is therapeutic. (laughs) Okay, so according to the National Council of Foundations, nonprofits on average have about three months cash on hand and, and quite frankly even less. So that means that if the average organization had no money coming in, assuming their monthly costs remain constant, they could survive about 90 days, and that's not very much time. So what are some of the strategies you would recommend for organizations that need money to grow, but at the same time, they're worried about spending their last dime? Yeah.
1: So I think there's two two sides of this. One is it's important – you know, the first step in solving your problem is recognizing that you have a problem. Um, so recognizing not having, you know, not, not saving essentially to have a cushion um, is, is a problem. It's, it's a symptom of a deeper problem. Um, but you need to, if you don't have you know, at least ninety days worth of funds, or some sort of contingency um, plan. Um, you really need one. You are not treading water. You are sinking. If that's the case, and so mm-hmm. you need to take that seriously. On the other hand, not having money um, is usually not like it's. It's a symptom of a deeper problem. It's probably a symptom. Usually, what I see is the core issue is that you haven't really thought about spending money as a means of getting a return on an investment, meaning you spend money Mm -hmm. and what you get in exchange is worth more to you than the money was. And so I see that nonprofits who have very little money, they don't want to spend their last dime because they think they're just throwing it in the toilet. Um, And that, And that shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't be throwing money in the toilet, although I think it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Like you think of spending money as throwing it away. And then in fact, when you spend money, um, you don't make wise investments with it. And I'm not talking about investments like investing in the stock market. I'm talking about you know, hiring investments and thinking about the cost of not taking action. A lot of nonprofits waste a lot of money by not taking action, um, not hiring the right person um, for the job. I see this in marketing a lot. Nonprofits say, "Oh, we need to do more marketing. We're going to hire a marketing and communications person who's going to write all of our press releases and do our social media and manage our website and write our stories and <laughs> communicate with our donors." And know one person can have all these skills. You are way better off hiring a consultant um, or you know outsourcing to various professionals who specialize in these highly qualified skills. Um, so, on that term, you know, I think it's important to change your relationship with money. I see a lot of nonprofits mm-hmm. are not forecasting their financials. They don't necessarily know. <laughs> they have less mm-hmm. than ninety days. Um, and sometimes it's not as bad as it looks. So if you have no money and maybe you have, like, $5,000 in your contingency fund, you might have more, but let's, let's keep it really real and really low. And you might say, well, mm-hmm. we can't spend that $5,000 because then there will be no more. When, in fact, probably if you continue down the path that got you to that scenario, you will have no more and just go out of business. Um, and, in fact, you mm-hmm. probably need to spend that last. Five thousand very carefully on something that will get you ten thousand, let's say, or will get you to the place that gets you ten thousand. So it might get you to a fundraising engine finally getting going. Um, And so, and if you're looking at your long-term numbers, then you won't, um, you will realize that that five thousand is going to have a very positive net effect. You know, months or maybe a year down the line. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do your numbers, if you aren't really looking, you might have a scenario. I know one nonprofit recently in the beginning of the year, they said, oh, no, we're not going to make the money to meet the budget we planned. And they were ready to, like, let go of staff. They started, you know, cutting people's jobs is really a serious action to take. And then, like, Mm -hmm. you know, eight months later, they are way above what they – were expecting to be and are now how do we spend our extra money and its this huge emotional roller coaster for the people running this nonprofit. But they, they had just really looked at their financials going into the future month over month and experimented, you know, played with the numbers, looked at them, say, well how, you know how much more income do we need um, and what types of structures might that income have? And they really realized that sometimes the difference between especially when you are small, when you're big, a few small numbers don't make such a big impact. But when you are small, it could be just a few more donors or a few more clients or one more funding source. that is the difference between being in the negative and firing people and being in the positive and saying, what do we do with our extra money?
0: Mhm. Okay, that is awesome, awesome, and thank you so much. Okay, so yeah, I, I should, want to remind I also. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: I just wanted to say for those people who go to our blog, there is another blog post that I wrote about financial leadership and I created, because um, this was such a big problem, a, um, a, a financial planning um, spreadsheet that anybody can download and use as a template.
0: Okay. Awesome. And, the name of that article is it under a financial leadership tab or is there a specific name to the article it's
1: under the pivot ground blog I'll find the um, exact title for you in just a moment
0: okay and then what I could do too you know I can also put links to the articles that you're referencing in the comment section so when people listen to the recording they can go to the comment section download and go to your website for more information That sounds
1: great. Sounds great. And the, um, the blog post is called Nonprofit Financial Planning.
0: Okay. All right. And if you don't mind, I'll share that in the network as well.
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, and we're speaking with Sarah Oliveri. And she's the founder of Pivot Ground and we are ready to take questions. If you'd like to call in, you can call in at three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. And our chat room is also open. You may post in the chat room. In order to post in the chat room, you have to take about two seconds to create an account so that you can post and you can find that link to open the account right up under the chat box and don't worry anything that you post in the chat room will be deleted immediately after the podcast closed so there wouldn't be any record of your name or your comments or any of that good stuff so Sarah while we're waiting for people to either post or call we'll just continue with our conversation so how That's would you great. describe okay good how would you Describe the current environment as it relates to digital fundraising.
1: Um, I think one is, you know, the thing about the Internet, right, whenever we say digital, usually we're just talking about things that are based in the Internet and what what mm-hmm. the reality of it is about, and I think people are adjusting to this. So if you need to adjust, it's an environment where people are adjusting to um, digital fundraising is really about, scaling your one-to-one relationships with donors and and making a larger donor base. So fundraising has mm-hmm. always been about building relationships and that has not changed at all. It's really a question of you need to adjust to this reality of using the internet to scale those one-to-one relationships further, have more mm-hmm. deeper relationships or or that deep relationship you could only that was limited by how many people you could talk to on the phone or go out to coffee with, you now can build mm-hmm. a relationship with more people using the internet. Um, but the other thing that's the reality of our current environment is it's still really new. Um, there isn't, you know, when I look at the data of what nonprofits are doing with digital fundraising and I compare that to, um, you know, kind of its equivalence in the for-profit world. I mean, nonprofits are terrible at this still. Like, I think, you know, the numbers are still around, like, 65% of nonprofits have no idea what they are doing. So please, my, like, you know, as you get wow. used to this, don't look at your neighbor nonprofits because they're all failing the test. Like, you're going to have to be ready to experiment and try some things that you don't see anybody else doing um, because this is still kind of the wild, wild
0: west. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, whenever I think, think about digital marketing or digital fundraising, I immediately think about, but I don't think about digital fundraising so much, you know, during the rest of the year. And for folks who don't know, Giving Tuesday is that, Tuesday after Thanksgiving it's a one day where you know um, nonprofits around the world are asking their donors to to make a donation and there are a number of activities that build up to that but really other than giving Tuesday I really don't think about digital fundraising that much and I, I think you raise an excellent point so so thank you for that
1: yeah, absolutely. And I try to think about digital fundraising every day, except Giving Tuesday, mm-hmm. and any nonprofits who are overwhelmed that all. just unless you love Giving Tuesday, just forget about it. Or you give back yourself because that is the day. <laughs> and it was kind of a nice idea because there's all you know for-profit marketing went into promoting this one day to have all nonprofits compete for donors on the same day when the rest of the days of the year are fair game. (laughs) You can totally be talking to lots of people um, without all the competition.
0: I love it. I love it. So so all of you contrarians out there who go counter to uh, popular wisdom, you know, listen, listen up. She's got a great point, great point. All right. So, Tara, before we get back into our interview, I want to tell you I want to tell our listeners a little bit about Nonprofit Utopia. Um, first of all, we are the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders, and we've created a safe environment in which our members can innovate, speak candidly about the issues and concerns they face on a daily basis, and share ideas and resources. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be sharing those two resources that you – share it with our listening audience in our community, and I thank you for that. So um, if anyone has any questions, they can visit nonprofitutopia.com or nonprofitutopia.mn.co. The first one is our open website, and the second is the website for our community And our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which experienced nonprofit professionals can share expertise with the next generation of ethical leaders. The overarching goal of the community is to give our members the tools they need to develop strong organizations that will make a lasting impact. And our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 2033. So we've got our work cut out for us, and, and I thank you, Sarah, for being a part of this podcast because you are helping us to fulfill our mission.
1: Well, thank you. And you're helping me um, to achieve our mission at Pivot Ground, which is to um, make optimized and organized and thriving the new normal for nonprofits. And I think, you know, what you're doing is, is a huge part of that. It doesn't need to be so hard.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So what must organizations do to prepare to raise money, not only digitally but just in general, to be successful?
1: Sure. Well, I think, first of all, you know, you've got having a plan for your fundraising. It's really important. Um, educate yourself about what works in fundraising. I think probably when, especially when you're first um, starting out, I think the most helpful kind of metric to think about is what does it cost you to raise a dollar? You know, the natural go-to mm. is we, we need to fundraise. We're going to do a fundraising event. Well, it just so happens that, Events like galas and things, dinners that people think of and auctions are the most expensive way to raise a dollar. Um, And in fact, often if you actually count the number of volunteer hours that get put into those types of things, you're probably losing money. Meaning you're spending more money than you're taking in at the end of the day. Um, So if you really build a strategy that's focused on how can we raise raise dollars for the least cost of raising a dollar, um, you will set yourself up for success. That's probably the most, you know, the most Mm -hmm. important thing to think about if you're really new to raising money. And as far as raising money digitally, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, digital, what the Internet brings to the table is, you know, two things. It is the primary tool by which we communicate and engage with each other now as human beings. So, of course, in the process of building relationships with donors, which is what you need to do to raise money successfully, um you need to be using the internet. Um, it also facilitates payment processing very nicely. Most people are quite accustomed to um, giving their credit card and paying through the internet. So this is an added convenience. Um, it's great for recurring donations because we can just auto bill people's credit cards and do all sorts of things automatically like see if they're expired. Um, but ultimately, you know, my big warning about the Internet is I call it an infinite universe where the laws of physics change every month. So don't just stab in the dark in the Internet because you will get lost, you will waste money, you will waste time. Think about that human goal you have. How many relationships are you building? How are you going to build those relationships? And then carefully pick the least number of tools on the Internet that will accomplish your job <laughs> So that
0: you don't kind of dive into a nest of complexity. <laughs> I tell you, there is so much more out there than it was when I started. Started working about thirty years ago, so the world is is a very different place now. So I, I, I know exactly what the you mean. Of tools.
1: Yeah, the number of tools on the Internet expands exponentially every year. There's some fantastic Mm -hmm. graphics online of, like, how many more tools there are to do things. So I'd say, you know, I follow a really strict priority when it comes to digital strategies, which is people, process, tools. So you have to prioritize what works for, you know, who are the people and what works for them, build a process that works for those people, and then pick the tools that make your process easier to accomplish and save time and, and energy from the people um, who ultimately need to do what only humans can do. Um, don't go the other way. That's what tends to happen. We call it shiny object syndrome. You pick a tool, you say, mm-hmm. what can this tool do? And then you say, we're going to do the things the tool does. Um, don't do that, please. I know it, it sounds mm-hmm. seems like fun at first, but it always ends in a headache. Um, and you don't, you know, what a tool can do is no way to lead Um, your nonprofit strategy.
0: Yes indeed. So I know you're going to (laughs) describe the
1: Sure. Mm -hmm. I just want to add, you know, many tools, there was somebody who had an idea about your industry, um, but usually at the other end there's a computer programmer developer who is building (laughs) this tool and they might not really know much at all about running nonprofits or whatever the tool is supposed to accomplish. So don't assume that just mm-hmm. because the tool can do something, that it was ever a good idea to do it.
0: That's true. That, that is very true. And, and don't get me wrong, QuickBooks, I think, is an awesome piece of software for financial management, but you can tell the way it's written that it wasn't necessarily meant for nonprofits. You know because even their yeah. nonprofit version doesn't have everything that that you need you know to get your financial statements in in the proper order that you know you're used to uh, reporting. But you know it's a quick tool. and you know if you have an accountant who can help you you know make some of the adjustments, it, it's wonderful. But you know that's just an example of how the developer of the software may not necessarily know your industry inside and out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think another great example that I see all the time is um image sliders on home page on home pages of websites. So, you know, the pro- mm-hmm. programmers of the internet said, Oh, we can make this cool image slider. Isn't that cool? And designers were like, Ooh, that looks pretty, we're gonna put that up there. And then marketers came around and tested it and said um, it results actually in either someone only ever looking at the first slide or people looking at nothing. Um, so the slider, all of its funds to developness and funds to design with accomplishes little or actually the opposite of what you want it to do on your home page. And yet is it prevalent? Is it in like every you know, website template out there, home page slider image? Yes. Um, is it actually hurting you and what you want to accomplish?
0: Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that, that's that, that's funny. That that that's very good information. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, how would you describe the future of digital fundraising?
1: Well, you know, the future is huge because it is how we engage with each other. Um you know, and I think that will become more so, although I think the lines of, um, you know, where the Internet begins and ends um, are becoming blurred, uh, and we are starting mm-hmm. to get, like, kind of, we're starting to get whiffs of what um, artificial intelligence may do. Um, so I kind of have this, you know, brief history of the world, brief history of the Internet and communication is, starts with the printing press, the printing press, we all on one-to-many <laughs> communication. We could put an idea in a book mm-hmm. and put thousands and thousands of copies. The first version of the Internet basically did the same thing, but even more. We scaled our one-to-many-people communication, except now instead of having to even publish a book, we could publish a page on the Internet. And we used to use that language, publish. I recently said publish a page to someone who was in their 20s, and they're like, don't you need mean post? And I said, no, I mean publish. Like, this is the word we used. <laughs> the Internet was like books on steroids. Um, and then <laughs> something changed with Internet technology around 2006, 2008 kind of time frame. We, the Internet became more about kind of two-way communication, and we started getting that data around what, how people were using the Internet. We get things like Facebook, your Facebook wall. It's not like my Facebook wall. My Amazon homepage does not look like your Amazon homepage. And, and then it, we take it to email as well, and that's because Amazon – is thinking about what I've done on Amazon, it knows some things about me and it displays some things that it thinks I personally will be interested in because of my past browsing and buying history. And then same for email, We and this is where nonprofits kind of need to catch up. So instead of just sending out an email blast to thousands of people or however big your list is, new way of doing email for marketing, and this is where nonprofits really need to catch up fast, is one-to-one type email so this new version of the internet is about scaling your one-to-one communication so um, I may send you an e- I may send an email to my list hey I just wrote this new blog post about financial planning um, here's the link and then I might send another email just to those people who clicked on the link saying you know hey hey Valerie um, I saw that you were interested in my financial planning blog article. Here's another article that I read while I was preparing for that um, that I thought you might like as well. And now I'm engaging in scaled one to one communication with you. Did I email you personally? No, I actually had set up an automation to do that. As we move into true artificial intelligence, we're talking about scaling our what I'm calling none. To one communication and none to many communication, meaning the computer. We're looking at the other side of the equation. The computer is making decisions about what to send based off, or what to display based off the data of the person on the other
0: end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really so that, interesting that's stuff, the and of I.
1: Digital fundraising, yeah. The future of the internet <laughs> and communication. And that is
0: interesting. I happen to also be teaching an online class at the University of Illinois in operations, and this is our final week. And one of the discussion questions actually is, "Do you think computers will ever replace people in nonprofits?" You know, it's a very provocative question, and you know, just listening to you talk makes you wonder. Hmm, how many, how many jobs could potentially not be necessary in about 10 years or, or even less than 10 years because of AI.
1: Yeah, it's very possible and we're going to have some, you know, some big decisions. I don't think it'll quite be like, you know, terminator scale decisions, but um, I believe there's mm-hmm. always there's always something unique about what humans can do, but computers are getting better mm-hmm. at replicating what humans can do, and so we're going to be, I think, pushed you know, as a human race to figure out what -hmm. is so unique about
0: us Mm -hmm. and lean into that. Right. And then I guess new jobs will be created, you know, that we don't even know about now as a result of this technology. Somebody's going to have to manage the technology.
1: Yes, and I'm sure it will go wrong. I mean, we know that already from automation. Um, <laughs> while I love automation, I say, you know, make sure you have a proven process that you automate. And many nonprofits mm-hmm. are ready for that. They do not They haven't even created a process. People are just doing work. Um, if you try to automate mm-hmm. a process that you just made up and is not proven yet, um, you're probably just going to scale your mistakes. And that's going to be <laughs> a big mess <laughs> to fix. Um So, you know, make sure your automation is, like, really taking work off your hands. But I'm sure the same will happen with artificial intelligence. We will have some mistakes that will happen potentially at a pretty large Mm -hmm. scale. Um, And so watching out for those mistakes and thinking about um, what makes sense to be done through augmented or um, artificial intelligence and what does not make sense to be done through artificial intelligence um, will start to become clear once we start making some mistakes with
0: it hmm so, so that's a perfect segue. What can we do to prepare for this new normal that you're describing?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is be ready to experiment. I think, you know, earlier this mm-hmm. year, I, I was sending out a message to nonprofits to be brave. Um, and I think what I really mean by that is it's really important to in the context of the Internet, that moves so quickly, is to try something new. Do it in kind of a scientific-controlled type of way with a few, var- you know, not every variable, a few variables. If you're really small, you might have to just try something totally new, you know, throw some spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks, and then you can start refining. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. you have to be ready to try some experiments. Run some experiments around fundraising. See what works run some experiments about doing programming in different ways and watch your own data. I think learning, you know, there's so much data we can get. We can see how people react to what we're doing, what they're interested in, what they're not, where they pay attention to us, who pays attention to us on Facebook versus um, LinkedIn, for example. Um, You know, are people on their phones or on their computers? You know, what's going on? Um, and watch Mm -hmm. the data that we essentially make and and run little experiments and and really think about, you know, how can you measure this? I I think people shy away from metrics um, because Mm -hmm. numbers are scary for a lot of people. What I can tell you that Mm -hmm. I've learned about metrics is it's hard to know what the right metric is at first, and the best way to learn about you know, what the right metric is to really measure your success is to just pick one or two, maybe three, and start measuring them. Mm -hmm. And and when you start looking at those numbers, you'll start to realize, oh, this number doesn't actually mean much to us. And, oh, this other number, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a process um, it's a learning curve to setting metrics. So don't overthink your first metrics. Just try tracking a few and see what <laughs> that reveals. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. so important along this, you know, doing things faster, iterate, try and experiment, put something out there. Don't worry so much about failing. I know nonprofits often, I think, feel under a lot of pressure to be, that they're going to be criticized, that everybody's watching. They're afraid to make a mistake with money. But if you don't get into this new mindset of trying things and then iterating and improving on things, um, you won't get there. I mean, to me, you know, my only, like, luck plays a huge role in success, I think, um, no matter what Mm -hmm. we do in life. But the only kind of sure path to success that I know of is through iteration. You try it, you Mm -hmm. learn from your failures you try a new version, you learn from your failures, you try the next version. That's the only sure sure road um, to success that I know of. Um, and so it's really important for nonprofits to, to try that.
0: Okay, I love it. We have three minutes, and we have a few more questions. My question to you before we go on, do we have a hard stop at 3 o'clock, or can you – Stay around just a little bit longer for us to get through all of the questions.
1: I'm okay to stay around. We can keep
0: going. Okay, great. Because you know, I, we haven't even gotten to what your company does, and you know, I'm so fascinated with you know with listening to you. I would love for our listeners to hear more about what your company Pivot Ground does. So, can you tell us you know more about Pivot Ground and what is some of your services?
1: Sure. Um, so at Pisa Ground, we really um, we start with teaching people the core of the impact method and helping them implement, which is about capacity and strategy. Um, one of the things that we've learned is that um, our kind of core philosophy, the core philosophy of the impact method is that in order to thrive, you need to continually have um, great strategy and and enough capacity to do what you need to do now and grow to the next level. Um, So we always start by optimizing capacity. And I say optimize, not add. A lot of people talk about capacity building. um, And that usually Mm -hmm. they're talking about like, oh, you need more money or you need to hire somebody. I'm talking about taking the potential capacity you have in your organization right now probably has to do with Mm -hmm. the human beings that are doing things (laughs) and optimizing that. You can do the most with the resources you have right now before we add money or expertise or people or anything to the equation. There's always so much that can happen right there. So I like to talk about capacity optimization, how we build this type of strategy that we're then going to continue to iterate on. And then from there, once people have gone through that and we have that for smaller nonprofits in a group training program that we've just started. And um, for larger nonprofits, we usually go one, um, one by one. Um, so we, um, uh, for, for one-on-one clients, they can get directly in touch with us. Um, for um, we have a group program we don't have an opening right now but we will in a few months so I'll let you know um, when that mm-hmm. comes out anyone who wants to join the group program from there, we have this amazing team of digital experts um, who can provide that expertise version of capacity um, when you're ready for it, and we can support with um, social media marketing, getting that data together, getting started with automation, uh, building websites, or the most important thing actually really is making sure your website has a kind of content that's going to engage people on it. Um, all sorts of things, you know, one area of capacity is expertise, right? If you're an expert in something, what you can mm-hmm. do in for a given amount of time and money is great is greatly more um, more. And the other thing about working with experts is experts can see what you can't. Um, they they see mm-hmm. a different route into the future. They see the problems that you don't know about yet. <laughs> um, and so it's really, really a huge boost to capacity to be able to work with an expert. It's usually a the great turn on investment. It's a great way to spend money. Um, so we provide that um, to everyone who's already working with the impact method.
0: okay that that is great. So the So you have just described the impact method, or you have just described your process in general.
1: Sure. That's our process in general. The impact method, um, we have a series of um, tools that we use to help with um, optimizing capacity. And we continually revisit these tools as organizations grow. Um, The nonprofit blueprint, which um, we're giving a link to, it's on the Pivot Grounds blog um mm-hmm. ground.com and uh, you'll see the link to the blog. That is usually where we start because it's where we can unlock a lot of capacity. Without spending money, uh, we do it right mm-hmm. away. And so we support people in that process of beginning to shift their mindset and the way they've organized their nonprofit. Um, we have a number of other tools, that are, you know, how you actually get that prioritization down, how you actually get your team on board with everything. Um, we have a lot of frameworks that really help people implement that. But when it comes to strategy in the impact method, we actually have this really unique um, visual-based way of building out a strategy. It actually gets built out, and it looks like a mind map um, with the mission at the center mm-hmm. of that mind map And that allows people to um, build a strategy that is, like, guaranteed mission-driven because you actually had to draw a line between the goal and the mission. Um, (laughs) We do a lot of teaching around, you know, what kind of – how to build a strategy that isn't just a strategy, but you know it's a good strategy. So we have different ways. Mm -hmm. We use a digital tool to build the strategy, and we can then look at the strategy in different ways. Um, For example, one common pitfall with um, strategies is people tend to overestimate what they think they can do right away because we all think we're superhumans. We have this amazing mission impossible. Um, But if we view the strategy no longer in a mind map and see what did we say we were going to do first and what did we say we were going to do next, and if we put everything in that do first column, we know we overestimated and we need to be real about how much we take on or we'll sink our own ship and we won't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a lot of, and there's a whole framework that we've built into the impact method that basically helps you ensure that you have set great goals that are clear and that you can quickly express, not just to your team, but to your um, potential funding sources and to your board.
0: Okay. Now, do you have any modules for human resources, particular, Um, or just looking at the whole organization from the top down?
1: We usually look at the whole organization. Um, A lot of the work starts with the executive director. Um, Human resources is usually um, a significant element, um, and we kind of hit it, though, from many different angles. Like there's the function of, you know, human resources itself. Around and then, but there are a lot of pieces of the impact method that are designed to increase the intrinsic value of working for a nonprofit, um, which is one Mm -hmm. way we actually end up saving money or getting, you know, getting more, better work out of the people who are involved with making our nonprofits run without necessarily paying mm-hmm. them more. Um, and, and the way we end up structuring nonprofits actually usually makes people happier in their jobs, more energized by the work they do. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And so
1: that can have a huge impact on the work that human resources does.
0: Okay, that is great. And one final question before we wrap up. Can you share some more lessons that you've learned? I know you shared one or two along the way, but is there anything else you can think of in terms of a lesson that you've learned either in your work as an executive director or your work as the owner of Pivot Ground? Um, I think two
1: lessons. One I kind of shared already, which is that um, There's no point in making a strategy. A good strategy has to meet you where you are today capacity-wise. And there's no point in making that strategy if you haven't optimized your capacity a little bit. I've not met a nonprofit that doesn't have significantly more, like a significant amount of uncapped capacity. And so I really believe Mm -hmm. it, it took me a bit to realize that we needed to do that first. And I learned it because I started building strategies and then having to step back and before we could really, make any significant progress. We had to fix this initial capacity issue. Um, So that's Mm -hmm. huge. Don't underestimate um, your ability to optimize your current capacity. And then I think another thing um, is, you know, it's actually one of our kind of core values is that, Um, create, you know, we're never really done. The process of achieving a mission at a nonprofit is like a creative Mm -hmm. process. It's never going to actually be accomplished probably. Um, But if we, when we create um, finishes for ourselves. They're usually artificial, but we can use them as stepping stones to, um, to motivate us, to help propel us to the next level. Um, so I think one thing that we've embedded because of that belief in the impact method and that you can just do for yourself is to recognize Create a finish, even if it's artificial. Define when something is done and you move on to the next step. Celebrate when something is done. Um, whatever it takes to turn, um, create a milestone and build a stepping stone for yourself into the future.
0: Um, this has been really, really awesome. And and I thank you so much, Sarah. Um, you have really imparted great knowledge with every question asked, and, and i I appreciate that. And be, <laughs> and before we go, I just want to remind our listening audience that you were just listening to Sarah Oliveri. She is the founder of Pivot Ground. And Sarah, can you share with us some parting thoughts how we can reach you? And again, I will be posting links to the resources you shared with us on, you know, on the podcast.
1: Sure. My parting thought is, you know, be brave and step boldly forward um, and you can reach me uh, at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at pivotground.com, or you can visit pivotground.com and use the contact form um, to reach out. And we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn, sometimes Twitter, and rarely on Instagram.
0: <laughs> All righty. Thank you again. And for those of you who are listening, um, we know you're listening even though you didn't call in for questions. Um, We hope that this has been as informative to you as it has been for me, and we hope that you can follow up with Sarah and Pivot Ground. Be sure to share this link within your networks. Um, This is awesome information, and you you would normally have to pay significant money to get the information that Sarah just shared with us for free, so I don't want it to be lost Um, the value that she's sharing so please um in spite of the fact that you didn't call we do appreciate your your listening and we hope that you can follow up with sarah so thanks again and thanks again sarah and for our listening audience i want you to be sure and join us next week we're going to have another lively discussion and our guest will be patrick Kirby. he's the founder of do good better consulting so until then you take thanks again sarah Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, bye-bye.